I want to, as we leave uh, 2020 behind, I want to move into the new year. I want to give you an update on how our church is responding to COVID-19. As you know, if you're watching, uh, we're still online, and I'm sure some of you are wondering what uh, it's going to look like moving into the future, wondering, you know, when we're going to open up in-person worship or if we're going to. Uh, so I want to let you know uh, where we're at and how we're going to be moving forward, kind of let you know a little, let you into the process a little bit of how we're thinking. For the most part, our church has been following the risk level set by the state. The Ohio State of Ohio uses four risk levels, uh, level one through four, and each level has a color, and you can track those colors uh, for each county by going to coronavirus.ohio.gov. And I'm sure you've been there uh, many times. If not, now you know. Um, and uh, you can read on the website what these risk levels mean and what they're asking of us in very simple terms. Uh, level one is yellow, and it means there is active exposure and spread. Level uh, two is orange, and it means increased exposure and spread. Uh, ex exercise a high degree of caution. Level three is red. It means very high exposure and spread. Limit activities as much as possible. And the fourth level is purple. It means severe exposure and spread. Only leave home for supplies and services. So right now, um, last I checked, most counties in Ohio are red. And with red, we're asked to limit activities as much as possible. It's been our church's stance to respect this request. And that is why we are online. As our leadership has talked, uh, we, we really think this rating system is one of the easiest and wisest ways for making decisions for our church. So here's what our plan is, and I say this knowing that it could change, but I just want to let you know into our thought process uh, what we're thinking and how we're wrestling with it. In general, we're not going to allow in-person worship inside uh, when it's red, especially if the numbers are climbing. Now, if it's red, but it's headed down or getting closer to orange, we might open up in-person worship for a few people, uh, but very cautiously. Now, once it goes down to orange, as the guidelines suggest, we'll hopefully, uh, uh, and it's subject to change, but we'll hopefully offer in-person worship, but only with a high degree of caution, as it says, which means for us, things like social distancing, wearing masks, etc. So that's kind of what we're thinking. Now, Late last year, I started um, hearing stories from other churches and pastors uh, I'm friends with, and volunteers and members of their churches started getting COVID. Uh, many of them ended up in the ICU, and a few members of churches passed away. So I just want to be clear, my goal in this season isn't necessarily to make you happy or to uh, participate in a political conversation around whatever. My goal is very simple, as, especially as I've heard these stories. My goal is to make it through this season without anyone in our community passing away from COVID because they came to church. So that means when it's red and rising, we live stream. And when it's orange, we might open it up, but only if people make a commitment to socially distance and wear masks and follow all of those guidelines. And that's only fair. And we feel that, and if we feel it's even too risky for whatever reason, we're going to pivot. So the good news is the vaccine is out. Uh, and it's only a matter of time before things get better and easier. And in the meantime, I think using these metrics keeps things easy, clean. Um, it minimizes the risk of hurting anyone. And that's a really good thing. So I just want to say thank you. Uh, to all of you. Uh, I know this isn't ideal. I, I also know that there are some churches that have been exercising their religious freedom and meeting in person, and I know some of you wish we did the same, and that's frustrating to you. 
I get it. I also know that some churches aren't going to meet in person, haven't met in person even outside, and maybe you wish we would have done and will continue to do the same. And it frustrates you that we'd even consider meeting outside or in person with different varying levels of risk. I hear you. I know that that frustrates you. This is hard stuff, and, and we're trying to do the best that we can given the circumstances. So to all of you who are holding on and you keep uh, showing up online and you, you say hello in the chat and you're engaging with your small group and you're serving at Little Bottoms, you're giving, I just want to say thank you. Seriously, thank you. I'm so honored to be your pastor. There's no place I'd rather serve and there's no people I'd rather serve with than you. Uh, here at Central City Church. So I, I give you, uh, so I'm just so grateful for your commitment to this community and the challenges of 2021 and 2020, uh, 2020 and 2021. Over 50 years ago, as a naive teenager, I went along with a joke and really hurt a great guy. I'm so sorry. TB, I'm so sorry for all the mistakes I've made. I never meant to hurt you or anyone else. I can't believe what a fool I was to lie to you that the way that I did. I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me and allow me to show you the kind of love and respect you truly deserve. I found a few sites where people can post anonymous apologies. These were a few examples I found on there. In some cases, they couldn't track down the person. Other times, the person had already passed away. Or, or sometimes, they, uh, they're, they're not really ready to face the person and, uh, and apologize directly. And so they use this site or one of the sites to kind of help practice forgiveness. Or in the case of the last one, uh, there was a number of them. They just posted them as a prayer to God. Some were funny, uh, some were far more serious, but if you read them, uh, you're likely to find yourself in one of them. In a sermon uh, called To Whom Much is Forgiven, the existentialist theologian Paul Tillich wrote this. He wrote, forgiveness is an answer to the divine, to the divine, the divine answer to the question implied by our existence. Forgiveness is an answer, the divine answer to the question implied by our existence. Think of a couple questions that forgiveness can answer. Uh, here's a few that just come to mind. Am, am I more than what I do? Will my mistakes forever define me? Is there an antidote to guilt? Can relationships survive heartache? Just a few questions that come to mind. These are the kind of questions that forgiveness can answer. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to dig into this forgiveness thing. We're going to look at what it means to forgive others and what it looks like to ask for forgiveness. And even more important, we're going to look at to Jesus, who uh, is the source of forgiveness for us and to each other. But today, what I want to do is offer just a brief overview of forgiveness according to the Bible. But first, throughout this series, I'm going to be pulling from a couple different books. Um, here's a couple books that I referenced in preparation for this sermon, and I'll use them in futures. Uh, they include Adam Hamilton's book uh, called Forgiveness, as well as Andrew Sung Park's book called From Hurt to Healing. This is a, a great book uh, specifically around what it means to, to really kind of recover from uh, difficult experiences, and he has a whole chapter just on forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, and and uh, then also the classic book, Boundaries, which talks about forgiveness as one of the healthier boundaries that we can have with people. So I might share other books as well as we dig into this series, but if you're interested in, in reading more about one of these, uh, you can get, uh, I can give you more information, or you can borrow mine when the series is done, and I'm not using it. You're welcome to that. With that, though, 
though, I want to look at the, the book on forgiveness, of course, the Bible, and see what it has to say. You see, our faith is a faith of forgiveness. It's at the root of everything we believe and experience. We can't follow Jesus without first experiencing this thing that we call forgiveness. In fact, there's this scholar who focuses on world religions. His name is Houston Smith. He's written extensively on all the different kinds of world religions, and he's an expert, you could say, on what makes one religion different from the other. When he was asked what makes Christianity unique, he replied, it's that Christianity's uh, emphasizes forgiveness as the way to God. No other faith places forgiveness as the focal point of God's attributes and the central requirement for discipleship. In other words, forgiveness is, the, is a theme of Scripture. It's the entryway to knowing God, and it's one of the key attributes of who God is. God is a forgiving God. It's everything. Now, in the Old Testament, before Jesus, forgiveness was mostly an act that God offered the people of Israel. As we spent a lot of time in Genesis last year, uh, you, you should be familiar. The story of God is really a story about how God developed covenants with people. And covenants were agreements or promises made between two parties. In this case, between God and the people of Israel. The problem is that over and over again, the people of Israel would fall short of this covenant they had with God. And so, as we read the story of the Old Testament, God consistently forgives the people of Israel when they fall short. And this is important. Because the story of God... The story of God's people, the story of forgiveness starts like this. God offering forgiveness when it's not earned or deserved or even necessarily expected. That's how the story starts. And, and it's still true today. Forgiveness starts with God. Now, the Hebrew word for forgiveness is salak. Um, while we can't be sure of the origin of this word, it most likely comes from the Akkadian word salaha, uh, which means to sprinkle. In a religious setting, this word was used for sacrifices or acts of worship. People would uh, salaha um, uh, to, to, or sprinkle blood or oil or holy water in these ancient acts of worship. In non-religious settings, it was often used as a medicinal or medical term. It was used to uh, describe sprinkling or washing people with oil or water if they were sick with the hopes of making them better. And that makes sense because forgiveness in the Old Testament is often described as cleaning or healing or a washing away of mistakes or sin. So sin, of course, we can't talk about forgiveness without talking about sin. Sin in the Greek means to miss the mark. You can think of an arrow that's shot at a bullseye, um, and to sin is to miss the bullseye. Or you can think of it as a strain from the path. Uh, think of someone who's hiking and they start to wander from the path and they get lost in the woods. To, to sin is to miss the bullseye or to get lost in the woods. When God would make a promise with Israel and Israel broke that promise, they missed the mark. They wandered from the path. They sinned. So sin is this belief that there is a good and right way to live life. There's a path we should walk down and we know it when we sort of desert that path. The, the full witness of Scripture teaches us that this path is, is kind of simple to understand, but really hard to live, out, to live up to. That really we should love other people, that we should do things like justice, we should care for one another, we should care for the vulnerable. These are the kind of ideals that we aim for, and to sin is to miss that, to wander from that path, to, to miss the bolt. Jesus boiled it down to, to just two commandments, to love God 
and to love other people. And so to fail to love God or to love others is what we call sin. It's to miss the mark, to wander from the path. And we, when we miss the mark or we wander from the path, we need a second chance. We've got to get back onto the path. We need to be brought back. And that's what forgiveness does. It, it sets right what has been made wrong. In the Old Testament, forgiveness is often used to describe God's action towards sin in one of five ways. Old Testament kind of uses these kind of phrases. First one is the carrying off of sin, uh, the removal of sin, the covering of sin, sweeping away sin, and washing away sin. It's, it's as if sin is this stuff that we get on us, you know, when we've messed up and we carry it with us. And God has to deal with it. And so God deals with it by either washing it away or carrying it away or sweeping it away like a, you might sweep your floor or even covering it sometimes, but dealing with it in some way so that we don't have these stains and this dirt and this mess all over us. Sin is this, uh, that's what forgiveness does, is it deals with this sin problem. Now, once we get to the New Testament, forgiveness becomes uh, the focus of our faith. The Greek word uh, used uh, for forgiveness has a slightly different origin than the Hebrew word, and it, it means simply to leave behind. To forgive in the New Testament often means to leave behind. To leave something, it can be translated as to divorce, as if you were married to sin and you had to divorce. You had to get a divorce. Sorry, sin, I don't want, I don't want to be in a relationship with you anymore. It can be translated as to release or dismiss or even to abandon, you know, to leave it behind. You're like this, I'm not going to be a part of this anymore. And that's what the Old New Testament kind of looks at sin. We're to leave it behind. Through Christ, we get to divorce our sin. We get to release from it. We get to abandon our sin. Uh, through Jesus, our sins are forgiven, as Ephesians 1, uh, 7 says. It says, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And in 1 John 1, 1.9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So purify means to get rid of, to leave behind once again, to burn up or to wash away all that stuff that doesn't belong. So continuing in the New Testament, forgiveness starts with God, this removing of sin and guilt from our life. God forgives us. But here's the cool part. The New Testament doesn't stop there. The New Testament takes what we know about God's forgiveness towards us and applies it to human relationships. And this was unique because if you scan the Old Testament, it doesn't talk about forgiveness between human beings very much. I don't know if you've thought about this. You can do your own uh, study. I didn't spend a lot of time on this, but I did a quick study and uh, did some searches. And, and really, the, when the Old Testament talks about forgiveness, it is 99, if not 90%, um, about our for God forgiving us, our relationship with God. It doesn't talk about human relationships a lot. If you look up 100 verses from the Bible about what it means to forgive another person, 99 of them are going to be in the New Testament, uh, if not all of them. In fact, I haven't found one yet. I'm sure you, and if you have one, you can send it to me. But most, even if you look at stories where people messed up, I think of David and Bathsheba. David seriously hurt. He killed somebody and he, he hurt another. Uh, he kind of took advantage of this woman. And when you look at his confession, it's all about asking forgiveness from God. So even in that story, you don't see this sort of human relationship. That's the nature of the Old Testament. Most of the Old Testament had to do with our relationship with God. But 
Um, in the New Testament, it's, a, it's about God, God takes it one step further. So the Old Testament was about God building a forgiven community. The Old Testament was all about God building this community that would be forgiven. But the New Testament is about God building a forgiving community. Do you see the difference? The Old Testament was all about, God, please just forgive me. I've messed up. I've hurt other people. Forgive me. And that's, that was enough in the Old Testament. God would forgive, and they would be made right with God, and that was enough. But in the New Testament, it moves beyond that, and God says, I don't want to just forgive you. I want you to be a part of a community where you forgive each other. Old Testament, God forgives us. New Testament, we forgive each other. Like it says in Colossians 3.13, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. In Ephesians 4.31-32, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, God, forgave you. So we see this natural progression happen in our faith. God forgives us, so we forgive others. God forgives us, so we forgive others. Consider the prayer we prayed just moments ago. Did you remember the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. God forgives us, so we should forgive others. And, that's, and that would be enough, you know, to sit with. We could ponder that for days. We should be people who forgive because we have been forgiven. But that's not even where the New Testament stops. God takes it in the New Testament. He takes it one step further. Right after Jesus teaches the disciples the Lord's Prayer, which we pray almost every week, right after he says, this is how you should pray, he tells them this. He, he says, you know, right when he says, forgive us our trespasses, we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus, not wanting them to miss the meaning of this prayer, Jesus says in the very next verse in Matthew, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins. Your Father will not forgive your sins. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. So it works both ways. God forgives us. We then forgive others. But Jesus flips it around. He says, if we don't forgive others, God doesn't forgive us. You see, on the other side of the cross where we live, we're not just a forgiven community. We're supposed to be a forgiving community. We haven't just been forgiven. We have been given the chance to forgive. And one can't be separated from the other. Jesus explains this further um, in, in Matthew. In Matthew 18, he tells the story of a king who calls in his debts, this master, this king who calls in his debts. And he brings someone in. He says, you owe me a bunch of money. And the guy says, I can't pay you back. Give me more time. And the guy says, nope, sorry. I'm going to sell your wife and your kid, which was the law. He couldn't pay it off, so his, his, his family would be sold off as slaves, and the money would be used to pay off his debts. This still happens in places around the world. It's, a it's one of the major causes for indentured servitude slash slavery that still happens in, in countries around the world. And so this is what's going to happen to this guy. And he begs and he pleads. He says, King, Master, please don't do this to me. Um, just, you know, like, give me more time. Just be patient with me. That's all he's He's not even asking for him to forgive his debts. He says, just give me more time. And the king has compassion on the man, and he says, you know what? I'll do something better. I forgive the debt. I just won't even hold it against you. Your debt's forgiven. Well, the man is so thankful, he leaves, and he runs into one of his servants, 
someone under him. And this person also owes him money. It's the story Jesus tells. Not nearly as much as he owed the king, just a little bit, but still. This servant also begs. He says, just give me a little bit more time. Be patient with me. Begs in a very similar way. But the man doesn't do like the king had done. The man, instead of canceling his debt, the man throws his servant in prison until he can pay off his debt. Debtor's prison. Well, the king, of course, finds out about this. And he responds. Here's how Jesus tells the story. Matthew 18, 32 to 34. It says, Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back what was owed. Ooh, welcome to church, everybody. That's how serious this connection is. Our relationship with other people, with God's relationship to us. That's how serious it is. When, when Jesus said, love God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, and the second command is like it, love your neighbors yourself, that's how closely connected they are. You can't do one without the other. Read 1 John, and it talks about this extensively. That's how, and so Jesus, he explains it in the next verse, verse 35. He says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. He handed him over to the jailers to be tortured, and Jesus said, this is how God will handle you if you refuse to forgive your brother or your sister in your heart. Now, I'm going to be the first person to say, this makes me a little uncomfortable. I mean, that's kind of intense, don't you think? This is like next-level discipleship stuff, the hard teachings of Jesus. But stay with me here. I don't think this passage is here to make the average person watching today, the average Christian, to question their salvation. That's not the goal. Uh, if this makes you freak out, don't. You have to understand that in this story, the debt to be forgiven was financial. It was a business debt, and this clearly didn't have as much emotional baggage as some of the things we need to forgive other people for. Also, the servant was asking for forgiveness. He was begging for it, it says. And often the people we struggle to forgive the most are people who never come asking, let alone admit to ever doing anything wrong. So this parable can't just be applied to every situation. But it is meant to challenge us and teach us a really important lesson, a really simple lesson. Withholding forgiveness is a justice issue. Now, here at Central City Church, we're all about justice. <laughs> our shirts from our three-year anniversary have Micah 3.16 on them, to love kindness, act justly, and walk humbly with your God. That's kind of like our theme verse for 2020 and probably 2021. Justice and mercy and humility are essential to us and, and should be to anyone who's following Jesus. We want to do the right thing. We want to promote the right thing. We, wanna, we want people to be treated fairly, which often means standing up for uh, and standing in solidarity with those who are vulnerable or marginalized or hurting. Just that's what we get. That's what I get excited about, and, and I think you get excited about it as well. Well, here in this story of a king and a servant and forgiveness, all played out in the courts, we see that forgiveness is a justice issue. If we claim to be forgiven in, by God, if we believe in God's forgiveness towards us, if God has forgiven me, and I refuse to forgive someone else who's asking for it then it's no longer about feelings or theology or whatever. It's an issue of justice. 
Someone might as well be starving and asking for something to eat, and I refuse to give them the bread that's in my hand, even though that bread was a gift from God. Someone's hungry, and you refuse to give them something they need. It's a justice issue. Jesus says forgiveness is the same way. Now, this is hard stuff. And I might be making some of you uncomfortable or even confused. You might be freaking out. Maybe you're thinking about that person you could never forgive, and now your pastor is saying that all of this stuff you have to do, and and you don't know how to do it, and maybe God won't forgive you if you can't forgive others, and you just can't handle it. And if that's you, I want to say don't freak out. Uh, Your fears will be answered. We're going to walk through this step by step. It's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Um, I don't share this to make you want to quit or for you to freak out. I say this because I want you to know this. Forgiveness is important. It's really important, essential, and unavoidable. And, he, and, and because it's all of those things, it's also really beautiful when it's lived out. It's a secret that can unlock a whole new season in your life. It's, it, it's the ticket that gets you to the show. It's the key to the house you've always wanted. It's the missing piece to life's puzzle. It's that essential. And so right now, all I want you to know is that this is really important. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to God. Not only the forgiveness that God offers us, but the forgiveness we offer each other. That is a big deal to God. And that's what we're going to spend most of our time talking about in this series is we'll, we'll constantly be going back to the idea that God forgives us and unpacking that, but the primary purpose is I want us to move into a place where our relationships are more forgiving of ourselves and of other people. And it is something that you can learn. It might be the most important thing you ever learn to do, but it's something you can learn. There are steps that you can take to include forgiveness in your life, whether you need it to receive it or whether you need to give it. And that's all I want for you, right, to walk away from today, that this is a big deal. So in the coming weeks, we'll dig into the details. We'll talk about how to forgive, when to forgive. We'll talk about the difference between what I call internal forgiveness and external forgiveness and when you do one versus the other. We'll talk about how to ask for forgiveness and when and when not to expect reconciliation um, and that reconciliation doesn't, forgiveness doesn't necessarily equal reconciliation. We're going to do a deep dive in the coming weeks because all of this stuff matters. For now, though, I want us to remember the forgiveness that we already have. Forgiveness, whatever you've done, even if you've been unforgiving, that is forgivable. Whatever you've done, God is ready to forgive you. That's how big God's grace is. Forgiveness, of course, is made possible uh, through Jesus. God not only forgave us, but Jesus took the burden of our sin. His body was broken and his blood was shed. And Jesus experienced all the pain and shame of the culmination of our sins, washing them away, allowing us to divorce ourselves from the sins. And that's when we eat and drink from the cup, we not only remember the sacrifice and pain of Jesus, his body and blood broken, spilled, but we get to experience the very presence of Jesus. God meets us in this remembering. So I'd encourage you, if you have bread or something to drink, to take that out now. So tradition in the church to prepare our hearts for communion um, by praying together a prayer of confession, knowing that when we confess our sins, God forgives us. So I'd encourage you, I'm going to put the words up on the screen, and uh, I encourage you to take a second 
and reflect on these words. We're going to pray them together, but I encourage you to read them first. You put those up. Let's pray. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Friends, hear this good news. Christ died while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you fall on us wherever we are and on these gifts of uh, bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we might be reminded of your great love and of your great grace, this amazing grace that can wash away all of our sins. Infuse us with this grace. Fill us up to overflowing that we can't help but offer it to other people. And as we walk in this journey of learning forgiveness, of both receiving and giving it, May your grace be ever evident in our lives. Help us, Lord, to become more like you. A person who loves their enemies. Sacrificially and generously. Help us to forgive. Amen. Friends, take and eat. The body of Christ broken for you. Take and drink the blood of Christ shed for you.